0: thinking of uh, this morning, you think about the world we live in and across the world and different time zones and people and cultures and places. Uh, There's most likely a place where there are friends and family gathered in a a room and uh, nobody's talking and they're just sitting there. Maybe a few light tears are being shed and then somebody will get up and quietly walk out and uh, another friend or family will come on in and sit down. Go to another part of the world and you may uh, find uh, people in a home and there's drinks flowing and laughter and cheer going on and food being shared and, and people gathered for what would seem like a party. So they're just talking and enjoying. In another part of the world you would see a stretcher being carried, mounded up with different flowers and placed in a river and then set on fire. The smell is almost unbearable. And yet in other places, uh, there are people alone and hurting and struggling. All of these are pictures of how different people deal with death around the world. Death is something every human being has to face and every culture has faced in different ways, vastly different ways how we remember a life or a deal or process with a life and the question of what comes after that life, if anything. Now, as we walk into this series, we, we have to begin to think and realize that death impacts all of us. In fact, death is so powerful that it can change the course of a person's life. Some of our best discoveries have come in the wake of death and people wanting to get after a disease or get after a situation that happened that they felt should not happen, so they were inspired to start a charity, an organization, to do more research, to change the laws so that people would be protected. And so it's a very humbling place to start. And a lot of people think of death as the end, The destination, the the, the final marker, and what you have in this little uh, time frame here is it. And yet, as we enter this series on heaven, we must start with the beginning, which is what people may refer to as the end, but truly it is another beginning. What happens with that next breath after death? You know, when you... Travel, or you arrive at a bus station, a train station, or uh, get in your Uber ride, or you go on a plane and your ticket and you have your baggage. The question is Are you checking this through to your final destination? Where is the baggage going to end up? Today, we're going to start with that and we're going to ask about what is your final destination? Well, Pastor Erwin Lutzer, in his book, One Minute After You Die, says this. He says, it's not the transition, but the destination that really counts. Christ, as we shall see, is the only one who is qualified to tell us what we can expect on the other side. Furthermore, he goes on to say, while relatives and friends plan your funeral, decide on a casket, a burial plot, and who the the pallbearers will be, you will be more alive than you have ever been. You will either see God on his throne surrounded by angels and redeemed humanity, or you will feel an indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment. There's no destination in between these two, midway, these two extremes of either gladness or gloom. And so the Bible teaches us that there are only two destinations for eternity. Only two places where our souls will either go to the present hell or the present heaven. As you're going to see this morning, that word present will be key to our understanding of where we begin. Because most of you, if I were to say describe heaven and what heaven will be like, and I've even heard it in some funeral messages, we jump ahead and you can glance there if you want. We'll end up there and camp there for a week during this series. But most of us jump ahead to Revelation 20 through 22. The new heaven and the new earth. No more tears, no more pain in the presence of Jesus. Everything will be restored and new uh, after our bodies are risen up. And so a lot of us jump ahead to there, but there's this gap in human history. And while we're not going to dig deeply into the end times, there's an order of things yet to come. We die, but we know Jesus hasn't returned yet. In First Thessalonians, it says, don't grieve like the rest of those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus will return at the trumpet sound and those who are asleep, <coughs> asleep in Christ, will be risen up, their bodies will be risen up to meet the Lord in the air, the great resurrection. And then in Revelation, it speaks of this millennial period, this millennial reign of Christ. And different believers handle that differently. I tend to be a pre-tribulational, full millennial kind of guy. But there are others who fall differently. But our point in this series is where are you going to end up after all of that is said and done. And when Jesus comes back and Satan is finally defeated, there's a great judgment thrown and, and some final decisions are made. And so what happens in between... The moment you die and Christ return, and these things being set into place until we're finally with Him in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a pretty important question that we need to to wrestle with here today and we need to face. You see, what does that happily forever after look like? And so I would say that this is a pretty important question because we all have loved ones and we wonder where they're at or what they're doing right now. Uh, And we may wonder for ourselves. Now, our goal in this series is to rediscover heaven, to open up our minds, to imagine and to think. I I want us to be excited. But I want us to reason from the word of God. God. And we're going to talk about that next week as we move into imagination and how God's given us this part of our minds that's creative, and he's given us bits of information. And we're going to talk about how imagination fits in with what God is teaching us. And I want us to uh, delight and to dream of heaven. Well, there will be some unknowns, and there always is going to be fear. I want us to have confidence about who God is, what he has promised for us. And we're going to delve into tough questions and tough topics. And where we don't know the answer, we will lean on God's character and point to that and say, we know the character of God is unchanging because he is the Alpha and Omega. He is in control of everything. And so, although I don't know the answer to that, I know who does and I trust in him completely. And that's okay to end up there. And if we're to delight in heaven, then we have to end up in this spot and we need to grow in our relationship with God because to delight in heaven is to delight in God and being in Jesus' presence. And so, in order to worship him truthfully and fully, we need to accept and understand what we can about the breadth of God's character. God is not just one thing we want him to be so we feel comfortable. He's not just love. God is merciful. God is kind. God is gracious. God is just. And he is perfect. And he is holy. And he is pure. And if we don't understand all of that encompasses God and even more, then we're going to start to think, this is unfair. Or, then we might follow off on a trail, we'll look out here in a while, that says, this, maybe this is the way it happens, because it just feels more comfortable to say that. And so we have to face the fact that the Bible really does only present, I believe, two destinations, only two. And once we die, that ticket is set. It is irrevocable, unchangeable, and so that makes what we choose in this lifetime all important. So if we're going to talk about heaven, then we cannot avoid the subject of hell. We cannot avoid the subject that there's another place, another destination where people could indeed and have indeed ended up. And not just the worst people in the world, which nobody would argue with that destination, but people who were really nice, but they just never connected with Jesus and if we're going to talk about that, we have to understand that throughout, pit, throughout history, people have wondered, is hell a real place? Believers, followers of Jesus have wondered, is it real? Do we just get totally annihilated and, and separated from God if we're not followers of Jesus? Um, is it a place where there's a length of time of punishment, and then that punishment's over and everybody gets in? Um, our high understanding of hell, as we're going to see, is vital especially when it comes to understanding what happened on the cross. And you'll find that I refer to several authors, key authors, and I'll point you to different books or resources as we go throughout this. But like for today, Erwin Lutzer and Francis Chen. Others, Randy Alcorn, John MacArthur, uh, different names who have studied into this and give us some good wisdom. Um, Erwin Lutzer says this, he says, We must admit we don't know how much punishment is enough for those who have sinned against God and rejected Jesus. See, if God is perfect and holy and pure, then what is the just punishment for offending an eternal and perfect creator and going against his will? Sin is anything that goes against the will of God. He goes on to wonder, uh, what if from God's viewpoint, the greatness of sin is determined by the one sinned against? Then the guilt of sin would be infinite because it's a violation of the character of an infinite being. And what if in the nature of God, it is deemed that infinite sins deserve an infinite penalty, a penalty that no one can ever repay? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the whole breadth of that was establishing that sin has a cost. And the temple and sacrifices, everything was saying it has a cost and they had to keep repaying and paying every time they sinned, both as a group and as individuals. And it all pointed toward Jesus coming as that one payment for sin. And if there's a payment for sin, then there must have been a consequence for it that Jesus was taking upon himself, the very wrath of God. See, after all, if... God is just, I think we all want and long for that day where justice truly happens. For the crimes committed that are atrocious. For the ones that were gotten away with in our eyes. I think we we long for justice. And yet we don't realize that all of us deserve God's wrath. None of us could earn our way back to him. None of us could do enough to even come close to to being able to be in his presence because he's perfect and holy. And so as we look at hell, we need to ask, what does the Bible say about hell? What does Jesus say about hell? And what do we believe about it? And the the scripture that says is appointed once for men to die and then to face judgment. Once. pray the overarching statement we can make is that hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment each one of those as best as i understand scripture represents what is true i'm going to show you a lot of scriptures today so you can jot down the reference if you're able but just to show you my goal is to show you the breadth of the use of the word um especially in the new testament and our understanding of it um and so, as we walk through these, we'll see the use of this word. If your right eye is um, causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body uh, be thrown into hell. Matthew five twenty nine. Jesus said that. It says this in Matthew ten twenty eight. Jesus said, "Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul." Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Another quote from Jesus. That's a, I think that one is a repeat, but he said it twice, so shows you the emphasis there, another section. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, 45 and 46. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus right there gives you two destinations, eternal punishment and eternal life. Paul writes this, 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, Since indeed God considers it just to repay affliction, um, those with affliction, those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It has been said that hell is hell enough if you have the absence of God's presence. Now, as bad as this world gets, God is keeping evil at bay. Even right now, his very presence allows all of us to have some level of enjoyment with this creation and this world and family. And and in all this fight in our world to remove God from everything, oh, I don't think we know what we're asking for. I would hate to see if he even removes the slightest bit of his favor from our world. And so, as we look at this, we can walk through, and over 80 times in his letters, the Apostle Paul mentions wrath, hell, judgment, destruction, punishment, perishing. Even in his sermon in Acts 17, Paul gives a clear choice. There's two destinations before you, he preached as he shared the gospel. The book of Revelation makes it clear. 2 Peter and Jude teach the reality and the consequences of rejecting God. So the moment someone dies apart from Jesus, as best we understand it, they're apart from uh, Jesus awaiting the final judgment. And the moment you die, there's a judgment on what have you done with Jesus. If you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, or if you've not, if you've not, You're in a place that's not the final hell after the judgment seat, but it's apart from God. And we'll look at a parable that maybe gives us a glimpse of that uh, here in a little bit. And so, the moment someone dies, there's that dealing with the gospel. What have you done with it? Have you acknowledged Jesus with your life? If you have questions surrounding that moment, we're going to address some of them. I already know, but you have, let us know your questions. It's a strange moment to think of that moment of death, and I can remember um, in Casper, I was an associate pastor, and there's a a, a young uh, senior who was taking some courses at the local college, and. Um, they were in an on-campus Christian group, and this guy, way cooler than me, comes in, and he preaches without his shoes on, dynamic speaker. And he went in, and this group had lots of different lifestyles, and kids would come to it, good music, they'd hear a good talk. And he went, and he presented the idea that eventually love wins. You may have heard of that, and who teaches that? I'm not going to waste words on that teacher, but he had all these kids convinced that, you know what, it's okay. Live your life. You may have more punishment than others, but eventually you'll get to the right place at the end. Well, parents heard about this, students. It became a little controversy in that town of 70,000. And so my senior pastor says, Kevin, why don't you go deal with this? Um, Because we supported that guy and we're like, well, we feel that at least the students should hear another point of view on that teaching. So that was my gift as a young associate pastor and as I stood there, over a hundred students uh, trying to present to them that one, the idea you he- heard isn't new. There's always been people who've been universalist, we call it. Um, let's say eventually everybody gets in. There's more than one path to God. Um, I said, historically, Let's. we just studied the two words used for hell. I said, historically... And even if you just read the Bible, you didn't know any Greek. The sense you would get is it's a real place, and and you don't want to be there. But what struck me was this: I was reading a book called "Erasing Hell" by Francis Chan, excellent book. Um, he says this: the importance of hell is not about right doctrine; it's about the destinies of real people. And I, it's fun to debate and to argue and to. Uh, go in there and do that. But the bottom line, I looked at them, the bottom line is I just care about you and I can't stand here before you and tell you there's not two destinations. I can't just wash away what Jesus said and implore you that Jesus died on your behalf so you can be with him forever. You have to respond to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I would have done that talk a hundred different ways uh, now that I've matured some But the bottom line, if anything, came across. And as we talk about this with anyone, or if you're having a hard time with this doctrine and and this destination, the bottom line is we care about people. And so this matters immensely. And so just as with hell, then what happens with those of us who follow Jesus Christ? What happens for those who do trust in Christ the moment we pass away? Well, we know that it's only Jesus who's able to judge and tell somebody where they're going to end up. And when the Bible speaks of not judging, it's not talking about behaviors. It's talking about, I'm not here until somebody's final breath. I have no clue where they're going to end up. I don't have that right. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm going to keep pleading. And so there are some throughout history who have tried to prove some of these ideas and eliminate hell, but there is a consequence, and where there is no consequence for sin, this vanishes. The cross vanishes, where there is no penalty for sin. See, if you don't believe in hell, then you have to turn the cross into something else. Is it a sentimental gift that God would put his son through that? Or as we'll see in a moment, did it just open up the doorway, but your works have to get you the rest of the way? It really wasn't complete what happened on the cross. We have to understand that what the gospel says, and the motivation and reason uh, for us to compel others, the Bible says, compel them to be reconciled with God. That, that word just says, plead, beg with people, tell them the message. Jesus said, repent and believe. John the Baptist, repent and believe. What urgency would there be if we eliminated everything? And so, what does happen to the believer at the moment of death? In Ecclesiastes, you often hear this read at a funeral, but uh, dust returns to the ground from which it came and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And so we begin to understand this picture of how God created us of body and soul combined together, and then at death, the body is separated from the soul. And so, as as we look at this, we have to ask where will we go immediately after death, but prior to the resurrection? In Luke 23, 43, Jesus is dying, and he's surrounded by two thieves. You may remember the story, and one of them looks at Jesus and how he's handling death, and something just clicked. The Holy Spirit opened his eyes, and he realized, you are the Son of God. What are they doing to you? He doesn't deserve to be here next to me. And Jesus turns to him, and what did he say? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul testifies in uh, Philippians. Um, well, here's our summary statement for this, and then I'll go into Philippians. The moment followers of Jesus die, we are in the presence of Jesus in paradise, or you can call it the present heaven. And we get that from many passages, as we'll see, but it began with Jesus saying that and telling, I believe, the truth to that thief, um, And where he was going to be with Jesus in paradise. And so, as we walk through this, there's some verses um, that we want to look at. This one here tells us, Paul says this, he says, If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. His understanding was that to depart was to be with Jesus. He says this in 2 Corinthians, We are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And so as we look at that, And we walk through these verses, we understand that we live by faith, not by sight. We have not seen Jesus, yet we believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe we will indeed be with him one day. And so the present heaven looks like we will have our souls with Jesus in heaven. In Revelation 6 uh, 9 through 11, and you're welcome to uh, turn there with me. There's very interesting passages as we walk through Revelation. It's a amazing book of both practical teaching and imagery as God tries to help us grasp his most holy and mighty plans. Um, in the midst of these seven seals being broken open, um, a fifth seal is Uh, broken open and it says this starting in verse 9 it says I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had bore so these are martyrs people who lost their life um, most likely during the great tribulation and trials and and he could see their souls that tells us something recognizable uh, souls Um, were apparently able to be seen, not just invisible as our human minds comprehended. And then it says, They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Who were able, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so, as we look at that, we're beginning to get a picture of perhaps some clues as to what life or eternal life might be like in the presence of God before our resurrection bodies are received. And so, we look at this and we begin to understand some uh, characteristics that perhaps can be there. And yet, one of the first things we understand from that passage in Challenges is that there's a sense of longing there, right? By these souls of people who are before Jesus at his throne. There's a longing for the second return. And so, there may it's not a place where you don't have any sadness. There, There's a sense of perspective, perhaps, where they understand what's still going on on earth, and they're, they're longing for Jesus' final victory. And they understand, and maybe it looks like they have a memory of what happened to them. So we retain our personhood, it would seem. And they're calling out for the Lord for justice. And so... As we look at that, we can begin to understand some pictures of what it's like in heaven. And uh, I know in Acts 7.59, the first martyr, uh, Stephen, he's standing there, and and they're about to stone him. And it describes it like he sees the heavens open up, and he almost sees what's coming ahead. And he's asking to go into the presence of Jesus as if he sees him there. Um, I don't know if you've ever been with a believer before they passed. It's extremely interesting. Um, if I ever got a doctorate, that'd be probably one of two things I'd try and figure out or study would be, you know, what is that moment like when you actually are with somebody and they're passing in your arms? And, and, uh, and for my experience, I know that uh, my dad's mom, she, she had laid still for hours and hours and um, just resting there. Um, peacefully, and then all of a sudden she just started grasping and talking and reaching up and then was with the Lord. Uh, It's a very interesting transition, and yet it's to be with the Lord in heaven, to be with God. Even as Jesus went throughout his whole ministry when he prayed and he talked about God the Father, what did he say? My Father who is in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. He described God as being in heaven. The present heaven. And he talked about preparing a new heaven and a new earth for us to be with him. And so, as we look at this, uh, one author said this. He said, joy in the present heaven isn't based on ignorance. It's not like our slate is wiped clean and we forget everything and we're just ignorant and happy. It's based on perspective, knowing that Jesus is real. But the end is not quite yet here. We still have the new heaven and his judgment to look forward to. And so I thought that's a good quote that that there is joy, but it's not based on anything except for a perspective and understanding that everything Jesus said is true and some promises are yet to come, but we know they will be fulfilled because we are in his very presence. There's an important uh, parable uh, that Jesus uh, shares with us in uh, Luke 16, and the intent of this parable, as we've talked about parables before, the intent of the parable is is to show the urgency of making a choice while you're alive to follow Jesus Christ. To show the urgency, but it also shows us a picture of the destinations and. Well, I don't think this is a direct description of hell, it helps us to see how Jesus portrayed hell so that people could understand it and understand the importance of responding to his message. And so in Luke 16, we have this parable, uh, and he begins to uh, share with us in, in verse 19 of the rich man and Lazarus. It says, there was a rich man who was uh, clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus with sores, who desired to be fed with whatever fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Or Abraham's bosom, that's a common phrase used in the Bible to point to heaven. And then he says this, he says, The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, a word that is often used for that uh, place in between uh, the final hell and when Jesus returns, um, he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, even if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is clearly saying here, there's a fixed chasm between heaven and hell, and you've got to make your choice now. There's only two destinations. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' desire would be to all repent. But in the hardness of heart, some will not. Even those who saw Jesus resurrected could have rejected him. And we worship a resurrected Jesus and people reject that. Jesus was in their very presence and they didn't understand who he was. And yet, the opportunity is there to reach people. And the main emphasis is that we need to choose a destination. And so coming up, we're going to study this idea in Mark of What is it like to be resurrected? And what does it look like? And we'll get a little bit of a clue, I think, and we look at the transfiguration when we dig back into Mark. And yet, paradise, this present heaven, isn't the end of the journey. Uh, It's not the final destination. It's on the way there. And the martyrs show us that uh, there's an urgency and perhaps even a little bit of a sadness just hoping and longing for people to come to the Lord until that time. And as we we look at that and and we wrestle with it, um, we go through it and, and we have to try and put our minds around it. You see... Randy Alcorn says, The great tribulation does not diminish heaven. After all, God knows exactly what's happening on earth right now. And it doesn't diminish heaven for him. It doesn't diminish the joy of having believers pass away and come into his presence. And it is likewise heaven for the angels, even though they also know what's happening on earth. Surely, then, he says, nothing we could see on earth could ruin heaven for us. And it's possible that even though joy would predominate in the present heaven, there could be periodic sadness or longing because of the evil and pain that is yet to be finalized. We know that even Jesus grieved over the earth while he was headed to the cross. Does he not still grieve at the sin and the impact of sin and brokenness in our world? I believe he still does. And yet he's given us hope in the midst of that and joy based on perspective so we have clear promises to us based on our beliefs and our faith and yet not every detail is revealed is it we don't get to know every little jot and tittle and idea of what happens but we hopefully have used the bible this morning to give us some undergirding clues as to what happens that moment we die and we know that once Jesus returns for the second and final time um, to finally put Satan to an end and to have that great judgment, we will be ushered into the new heavens and new earth. And oh, I'm so excited to talk about that. And so what do I believe? My best understanding is this. In the present heaven, uh, we will be fully aware of past and present um, Our personal identities continue throughout all of this. Our names are in the book of life. Your name, who you are, your personality. We will long for Christ's triumphant return, and we will be with Jesus. We will be with Jesus. So is your ticket punched this morning? I, I like movies, and today I'm seeing a movie called Endgame. How ironic is that with this sermon? Um, yeah, At the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, in the return of the king, Gandalf is trying to comfort them, and one of the uh, hobbits looks up at him and talks about death, and Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf, the great wise wizard, says, end. No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and turns into silver glass, and then you see it. Pippin says, what, Gandalf? See what? Gandalf says, white shores and beyond far green country under a swift sunrise, Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, it isn't. One of Satan's greatest lies is to get us to think, well, that isn't so bad. This life is all there is to it. To believe falsehood. To not believe the urgency. You know, it's been said of the great D.L. Moody, one of the most famous quotes of all time. It's he's, Passing away, he says, You know what? Soon in the newspaper, you're going to read that I'm dead, but don't believe it for a moment, for I will be alive more than ever before. And just before passing, those who are with him said, He woke up for a moment and exclaimed, Earth recedes and heaven is opening before me. And then he went to be with the Lord. In Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now a faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Does your faith compel you to follow Jesus Christ this morning? One of the greatest passages ever written on death and its defeat was written by Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, When the perishable, our bodies, put on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We never have sinned, We went to join the angels and demons in hell. We've just been in God's presence. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. It may feel like that, doesn't it, sometimes? Sometimes we pray and we share the gospel and we share it and we share it or we have so much pain and we're just like, why is the suffering so great? It is not in vain. Jesus is being magnified and glorified and in his patience, he lets generation after generation go by so that those who would respond to the cross may enter into his presence for eternity. Now, as we use our imaginations, I, I wonder about that moment of entering into Christ's presence. And uh, even in the hecticness of last weekend and uh, getting Matt home and, and enjoying that celebration as I sat there and watched his kids run to him, you know, and you feel that. It's humans when we've been apart to get reunited Seeing Jesus for the first time. Do you you look forward to that? I want to show you a picture, and I know it's not theologically accurate in every way, but I just want you to feel the moment of what it would be like the first breath after death to be in Jesus' arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, to be in your presence. I don't have words or descriptions, but the glimpses you give us in Scripture, the taste of it you give us in our human reunions, I can only imagine (laughs) what it would be like. Lord, may we long to be in your presence Sometimes I think we yearn for earthly things and wonder how much of earthly comfort will be in heaven. And I just, I don't think we're going to care. And as great as it is to be in your presence, you're telling us in the Bible that that's just the beginning. And that you have a new heaven, a new earth. You're preparing for us. And this world is so amazing that we live in. And we're... How can we not even be excited that it's beyond belief? And yet it's sobering, Lord, to know that you've given us a mission. And Lord, we are humbly bowing at your feet and worshiping you when none of us here deserves your salvation. We don't deserve it any more than anyone else who's just at their home this morning worshiping the TV, the money, or suffering in their circumstances, or living in a sinful lifestyle. We're not any better than them. We just humbly bow at your feet and say, Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for taking God's wrath, His eternal wrath upon yourself so that those who trust in you should not perish but have everlasting life by grace we are saved through faith not by our works there's nothing that can earn us out of this and so heavenly father I just pray that we would just ponder and bask in that idea that one day we will be in your presence our souls will be with you and until that moment may we humbly see the world and just Humbly hold out the gospel saying, I don't know any other truth to share with you and I, I'm not even worthy. I am a hypocrite even carrying this to you, but I believe it's true and, and if I care about you, I've got to share it. Help us to do that and to have opportunities to do that and see people cross over that great chasm. Because as long as we have breath in our bodies, there's an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if there's anyone here this morning, if you have not responded, let today be the day of salvation. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. He's waiting to welcome you into paradise. In Jesus' name, amen.